Iowa's News Now Sports has your all-access pass to all things Hawkeyes. This is Eye on the Hawks, sponsored by University of Iowa Healthcare. Somebody pointed out to me, it's 25 years ago when I started uh, in this position, and I uh, feel very fortunate about that. During that time, we've had a lot of really good teams, and I've had the, the privilege to uh, work with a lot of outstanding players. And uh, a lot of those guys were here tonight, actually, so appreciate that. But th this group to, uh, that we've worked with this year is about, about as good as we've had. As good as he's had, he says, but uh, coming up a bit short there in the Big Ten title game. Welcome to Eye on the Hawks. We are fresh out of the car from Indianapolis. Mitch Fick, Owen Sebring, Mike Howell. Recapping, Iowa's 26-0 loss to Michigan in the 2023 Big Ten title game and also looking ahead now to the Citrus Bowl. Just in the last five minutes or so, uh, uh, I guess probably like 10, 15 minutes. I'm looking at Hawkeye Football's Twitter account, but the Cheez-It Citrus Bowl, which is in no way confusing whatsoever to uh, any bowl analysis, announcing that it'll be Iowa against Tennessee, a rematch of the forgettable 2015 Tax Slayer Bowl between Iowa and the Volunteers. And uh, I was an Rematch of a Peach Bowl from way back then? 1982 there Peach Bowl. Let's talk about that one instead. Uh, <laughs> Hayden Fry's just his second bowl game appearance in 1982. I won that game 28-22. to Now that is the only time I was beat Tennessee before uh, January 1st. I and Tennessee have met three times, in fact. Two bowl games. They also met, uh, looks like the season opener in 1987 in East Rutherford, New Jersey. I Very lost, close to Knoxville. I lost to Tennessee 23-22. I don't know why they were playing a early season game in East mm. Rutherford, New Jersey. Is that where? Is that the, where the Meadowlands? Meadowlands, yeah. Oh, I was gonna say Tennessee's not in New Jersey. <laughs> um, Did you guys wake up feeling confirm, the cheesiest though? Confirm. <laughs> you know that Tennessee's Twitter account already made that joke, and we will be making it now for the next uh, the, three or four weeks. The only joke I'd like to make is that um, we, after a long road trip to and from, and maybe not many showers taken this morning, we are really putting the reek in recapping the Big Ten Championship <laughs> game today. Speak for yourself, man. I want to put the, make <laughs> Daisy the record over be here. straight, though. This is not the Cheez-It Bowl. They rebranded to the Pop-Tarts Bowl, wow. and I wish there was a Big Ten team, and so I wish this I was the there. Verbo Citrus Bowl in 2021, 2022, when it was played. Once upon a time, it was the Capital One Bowl. It was the Capital One Bowl. Very oh, familiar with that. Okay. Plenty of great memories there. Uh, that'll be nine years ago uh, when this one kicks. Or no, I'm not... I'm about 19. Oh, my gosh. Oh, uh, yeah. I was like, uh, nine. Oh. oh. Talking we're, about the Warren Holloway. We're not Rotate to Warren that Holloway play. young. Uh, so we'll have plenty of time for me to do terrible math uh, on the fly and, and analyze everything there. But let's start with just uh, reactions to last night, this announcement. We we'll, we'll don't know a, a ton about this volunteer squad. That'll be uh, discussions for another day. I think we'll have media availability with Kirk coming up in the next hour or so. So we'll try to hustle up on this, but reactions, uh, initial reactions last night before we get into sound bites from guys. Well, certainly, uh, I mean, you can't say that it wasn't a little bit of what we expected. I mean, Michigan was the favorite by a lot, and they proved why they were the favorite. Iowa certainly could have played a better game, and there are some things that could have gone differently, some officiating calls that could have gone differently that would have made a slightly different result. Um, my final analysis is, that, you know, as far as officiating goes, officiating certainly, uh, I think, played a part in the final score of the game, but did not play a part in the outcome of the game. I think that, you know, maybe with uh, a call that goes differently, maybe the final score is 
17 nothing. maybe some, uh, some betters uh, be, being upset with the way th- some calls went, but um, just a game that Iowa, you know, their, their offense just couldn't find any rhythm yesterday, as has been the case for much of the season. Defense played great. I mean, the only two touchdowns they, they gave up were from, what, inside the five-yard line where they got set up? Yeah. One was six uh, yards out. Yeah. Because it, it, the fumble happened at the 12, and Brian got a – well, I don't know if it's Brian, but it was, it was an assistant Brian. coach. <laughs> Officially, it just says an assistant coach. Yeah. It's just a microcosm of the entire season. The defense played well enough to be competitive in this game. Mm-hmm. I think they played a lot better than the score. I mean, yeah. 100%. There, there's probably an yeah. argument that it was the defense's best performance of the year. Yeah. hold that offense to 212, 213 yards, 3.3 was- yards of play. Blake Corum, what do you have, their only, 54 yards? Yeah, their only two touchdowns were on fields of mm-hmm. six yards and five yards, or three yards, whatever it was. And they did move the ball some, some in within the 20s, and they got some points off that for field goals. But, man, an offense with a pulse, it's a close game. And that's just been, I mean, you play Penn State, and it was 10-0 at half, and then the, the wheels come off the wagon in the second half when the defense is tired. This was more so mistakes than the defense getting tired in this game. So, I mean, it is what we've seen all year. Yeah, I, would, I think the offense had a pulse. I mean, they, there were a couple drops there. The turnovers are killers. But they were moving the ball at least in some capacity. You, it was just a, a game of missed opportunities. We talked about this. Of You know, they get the ball inside Michigan territory, and Deacon makes a nice play to get a little screen out to LeSean. And he just hit Mikey Sandistro. That's just what he does. Is it was jazz, I think. Oh, was it jazz? Oh, yeah. You're right. It was jazz. Apologies to LaShawn if he's a, a viewer or a listener. Uh, <laughs> but just is. like that, that quick hit and the ball drops out and all of a sudden a golden opportunity to keep a drive sustained drops off the wayside. You, you have uh, a chance to get an interception. This is on the defensive side, but an interception, a mm-hmm. chance to get an interception. Nick Jackson drops it. Punt goes back and that leads to that situation where there's a fumble because the arm was moving forward but the hand wasn't so it was, I mean they're just breaking it down like that I don't know how that works but uh it felt like the offense yeah it not that we're the offense wasn't inept I think I remember they're going up against the number one score 55 yards I mean the number one scoring defense one of the top defenses no, of the country 100 you know percent but I mean? I mean like they granted Michigan only ran for or had 213 yards we're talking they, about a difference of like a couple plays that's what I'm just saying it's not yeah. like when people describe an offense as inept, I'm he- hearing Benny Hill music of just like, these guys can't get a snap off. They're just not well, they're, connecting on certain plays. 10, like, this isn't just like, team. there are 11 guys who practice on offense every, every year. I'm, I'm getting a little too defensive, but just the idea, there was a ton of narrative on Twitter of like, just the play calling was horrendous. Like, what are you, you only have two games left. What are you doing? Like, mm-hmm. play calling was what it was and is what it is. They just... You can't turn the ball over three times. You got to. There were a couple of drops in there. There was a tip ball to, bad throws to Nico. Too. Yeah, I mean, thrown behind all night. Uh, it, was, I, it was tough. I, okay, so when I say inept, I meet it on a scale for like Big Ten. You're playing for a conference title. Not like they weren't going to come out. and yeah. have three hundred three. Well, no, I, I don't think it's 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 a coaching thing. I think it's more of the, they don't have the horses on offense and they've lost so many guys. Yeah. So like, what do you expect? But an offense with a pulse. That's what I'm saying. Like. You can move the ball down. And a you, healthy you offense. A healthy offense. Let's I don't say know. that. I I don't like the idea of like they got heartbeats out there. Yeah, those guys bust their tails. Um, this this was just one of those pivot points of like you're going to go up against that good of a defense and you're that beat up. And even Jennings Dunker doesn't play in. Nick DeYoung steps in at right tackle. He gets a couple the, on that opening drive too, or one of the early drives. You know, a third and seven, 
false start, third and 12, that changed your, your call. I think they ran the sweep to, to Caleb. He gets, I think it was like seven yards on that. And that's the punt that then gets returned 87 yards. And boy, Cohen, one of the best stories of the day. Yep. Uh, LeVar Woods coaching those guys up to hustle to the whistle and making amends on the fly. Uh, so that was, that was great. But I think we've got some, uh, some post-game sound. Yeah, this is um, a couple of defensive players that were available. The narrative, 26-0, it was not close. The defense got ran over, but that wasn't the case. This is how they think they played. Continue to fight. Always, always, always willing to stay in the fight. Um, yeah, this, this group is special. I don't know, this defensive unit especially, just the way we've come together, the way we've bonded, the way we've suffered with one another. I've, I've really never been a part of something like this. It's, uh, um, we, we did not play well enough today, but uh, I'm proud of the guys. I feel like we played a good game, though. I feel like we played a decent game, both sides of the ball. Like, even though there was just, there was just like, key moments where there were big moments, and uh, that just turned the whole game around. And, uh, I mean, yeah, without those, I feel like it would be a different game. Key moments, that's probably the way to say it. You know, again, just the – the talk coming into the game was, I always got to be perfect on offense. You can't, yeah. same thing that was going into Penn State, protect the ball, win special teams. And at halftime, you're sitting there 10-0, and the key, the key plays are you fumble in Michigan territory, and they have a big punt return to set up a touchdown. We talked about Minnesota out Iowa and Iowa. Michigan played Iowa's game perfectly there. Mm -hmm. You know, their offense wasn't anything spectacular again. You know, 200-some yards, 3.3 yards a carry, or yeah. a play, but... That's kind of Michigan's game too. It, it is. It, it very much is. So but like, they comfortable with that too. They get the big special teams play. Yeah. They force the turnovers, and in a game like this, that's going to be all the difference. I don't know if you guys would uh, bump this number up a little bit higher. I was trying to think about if Iowa and Michigan, if these same Iowa and Michigan teams face off a hundred times in that Big Ten championship game, how many times does Iowa win that game? My thought, maybe I'm underselling a little bit. Maybe you guys would disagree. I think that number for Iowa is somewhere between like three to seven times, I think they beat that Michigan team. I'd I say they win one out of three. I, I'm, I'm more on the side of Owen. Or maybe one, <laughs> one out of four to one out of three. I think they could. And that, again, we're talking about four or five plays. Four or five plays to be competitive, not to win, though. In yeah. my, in even my, with but a score those, changes everything. Even with some of those big like plays taken away, like Michigan still, you know, got some field goals when they needed to, and Iowa did not score. So it's like even if it's not twenty-six nothing, it's still maybe just like nine nothing or twelve nothing. Yeah, it's more competitive, but Iowa did not make, you know, just could not find any ways to make a scoring play happen. I don't so think there that, was a play over fifteen. Are we talking about this? if Iowa plays with the roster that they did? Like if you played with scenario as is that game over and over a hundred times. Is that kind of what we're saying? Yeah, basically, with this roster, I guess, if that's what you're asking. I think they can win a one, one out of four. I mean, it, it, it takes... That, yeah, that seems like... Yeah. 25 out of 100 and in a lot. It's 25 it's, times. Yeah. That's, that, that's a fail. That seems like a <laughs> high number to me, I guess. I mean, I, you know... It's I, not good I, to get I, in the I'm, Baseball I'm, Hall of Fame. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not an expert, but I, the point I'm just trying to make is that Iowa did not... They were up make, against it. Iowa sure. did not make those good plays team. that they needed. Yeah. I mean, they, they had... A few opportunities. They needed to play a perfect game, and the opportunities were there from the start of the kickoff, at least, to make some of those big plays. I mean, they had an interception in their hands. You know, if they make a tackle, I mean, they have those opportunities in their hands where they could have at least made it an interesting game. 
in the fourth quarter, and and they just didn't capitalize on it, and that's that's why the game went the way it did. And so, yeah, in in some scenarios where that game plays out, they do make those, and that's why I think it's still a fairly low number of times that Iowa wins that game. But um, you know. <laughs> Who's to say? You know. That'd be a boring hundred weeks if every week we had to watch the same game, you know, <laughs> no matter who the teams are. Re-rack it one more time. <laughs> All right, we're going to uh, talk more about those missed opportunities, that big fumble call about an arm, that that's the difference and stuff. Uh, for those watching on the, f- I'm making a weird arm motion. Boy, arm motions this year for Iowa football. <laughs> Learning a lot about the human body, what it does on the move, and when you slow it down. Uh, we'll talk about that after the break. All right, well, we talked about the missed opportunities and the bad breaks and, and again, meaning to have as clean a game as possible against a team that will take advantage of mistakes, and we saw it time and time again in Indy last night with the three turnovers. And one of the big rulings that led to one of those three turnovers was what appeared to be an incomplete pass, initially ruled an incomplete pass, blown dead, very quickly turned during a commercial break, as far as we understand, while we were up in the booth, in the press box, turned into a fumble, and uh, the ball given to to Michigan on their 12. There's a half distance to the goal on sportsmanlike conduct penalty against Brian Ferentz, who was uh, vocal in his disapproval and the assessment of the situation. Uh, Deacon Hill and Kirk Ferentz afterwards on the ruling there. Yeah, I mean, I was looking downfield, went to throw, ball got knocked out. Um, no, I thought it was an incomplete pass. Um, but, you know, it turned out the way it did, so. Obviously. Yeah, so I've made it last two months without getting fined. I'll, I'll try again. Um, I'm really struggling with our replay system, really struggling with it, uh, as I was after the Minnesota game. And uh, however many weeks after that is, I'm still struggling on that one. Can't accept it. Tonight, what I was told, the uh, arm was going forward, but the hand wasn't, which I'm not sure if that's possible. Uh, mechanically, I, I didn't major. I was an English major, but you know, again, I, I just think we're we're really taking a game that's you know relatively simple. When, I'm old enough. Okay, I, I was in the league when they started the replay. The whole concept, as I recall, was taken obviously. I don't want to say a blown call, but a wrong call. Official got screened. Somehow, an obvious mistake took place, and you correct it. We, we've taken it to a whole different level. And, you know, we've been on the short end of two of them. And then the other, other component to that, on the field, the whistle blew. And we got penalized a year ago for a guy trying to recover a fumble after a whistle blow, you know, blew. So it's, it's really tough to coach your guys when a whistle blows. Uh, their guy recovered it, our guys didn't. So, you know, and I'm not saying that cost us a game. I'm not sitting up here saying that. But it's, it's a pivotal play. Kirk went on to say, and, and he, he made a point about this, by the way, it must have been an invalid whistle. I guess it happens. Um, guys get fired over stuff like this. You know, maybe not in one moment, but these are the types of plays that can change the course of a game that leads to a loss that can, that can get guys fired in some situations. But that's, that's the look. And I don't know. And yeah, I mean, I'm not a kinesiology major. I, I was health and sports studies major. But we talked more about, like, the walkability of neighborhoods if you're trying to design uh, a recreation facility. It's going forward about right there. I'm I mean, putting my mouse where his hand starts, and uh, it ends, let's say, just forward. It's really, <laughs> like, I, I don't even see how, like, I don't see how any football-minded person could watch that and be like, oh, yeah, that totally makes sense that they would open And the, the ruling came so quickly. Yeah. Like, 
they ruled it in, in They were in the commercial break. <laughs> Usually you see, too, like um, both teams after a play like this, they kind of know and they get the, the other unit yeah. ready. And Iowa's offense was still in the huddle as, you know, Michigan's defense was already on the field. So Or uh, Michigan's offense was already on the field. So it's like they weren't even told, and that's when the whole Brian, you know, freak out happened. Yeah. This feels like the Seinfeld episode that parodied JFK. Like, <laughs> see his hand is back and, and to, to the, the left. left. That back is one magic fumble. <laughs> I, I credit Deacon Hill for being a cool-headed individual because Brian, maybe my fa- favorite Brian Ferentz moment of the year was him losing his crap on the referee, which I, I feel like he was justified in doing. I mean, why not go out in a blaze of glory? Um, and Deacon Hill was the guy who had to turn everybody like, oh, oh, Brian. <laughs> he was the one holding him back, and the call was the one that went against Deacon Hill. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. I, I think you see Spencer say, yeah, I don't want to be. No. Elliot Clough had a, speaking of Spencer, this is a little off topic, had a video of Spencer entering the field, I think, warm-ups. Didn't have the hat on first. Um, had a body armor drink in his hand, but also had his, his field pass on his hip. And the video that Elliot got is of Spencer, like, getting checked by security. They're like, hey, where are you going? He's like, no, I, I have a pass. I, I, <laughs> Those I started, guards will get you, as I, we found out I started out here night. two years ago. Um, <laughs> I, I led a team to a Big Ten West title. And then they're also like, you can't have that body, you can't have that body armor on the field. It was just very funny. It was just like... You can't have body armor on the field? I don't know. Uh, what? I, a lot of rules, Listen, man. we, we, we have red lanyards, and we field. can go on the field at any point. At any, I don't think we can still go on Lucas Oil uh, Stadium the turf t- today. The two leading purchasers of... Uh, Red tape in America are... Uh, That's as mad as I've ever seen Luke Lachey. Holy cow. <laughs> yeah, Luke was getting steamed back there, too. Yeah. Government bureaucrats and uh, Big Ten are, are red, wow. tape, red tape specialists. It was, I, we talked about this uh, on one of the live reports on the news Friday night, but there was a really fun moment. Luke Lachey at the team hotel uh, was talking with his folks and was introducing like some of the newer teammates that they and it was very much like here's my friend from school Here, this is Seth he plays wide receiver like it, it, that's that's not what they're saying but like from afar you can just see like it was it, it very a fun little moment there of him like introducing friends from I, school I, as Jim Lachey was there I was thinking boy it really would have been a great storyline if Ohio State had been in the Big Ten championship boy. game having having him having his alma mater go up against go up against the sun and he he, he would be in the radio booth he'd be doing color commentary for wow. Ohio State on the radio <laughs> Jim what are you gonna while. do about it yeah um but that was a really cool thing and you got to do a ton of fun stories um one of the positives of, of things like this is that you get to meet a lot of these families, and we got a chance to talk to a lot of families in the last couple of days that have raised these kids, whether they're, they're local families or, or from around the country. Uh, man, Roy Higgins, I think, ended up with like a dozen different <laughs> interviews. Um, guy. But that, w- that was really cool to just you know, get to chat with, with some families and hear, hear from them. And um, again, you're just reminded of these are college kids uh, before they head home for the holidays or uh, get a little time with family. Had to go play a football game, but it was cool to just see everybody. Just some really fun moments seeing families interact with their with their student athletes. One one thing I I I I did not like about the position that we were in. Not to make it sympathetic towards us, but we go down to the tunnel after the game, and you know these players don't want to see our freaking cameras in their face. And if I was thinking last night when I had my phone, you know, walking in, if they punched me, I wouldn't care. Get out of my face, like. But you know, we have a job to do, so we have yeah. to get you know the reaction. We have to document it. But having having been live at some some more active news story sites, you do you kind of just like accept the fact of like 
not that anybody would ever do anything. You just you just always kind of like have you. You could even see in my live shot last night after the show, like my eyes kind of darting around because for those that were watching, we had like a cart come up behind there. You know, they're moving equipment and stuff around. The players are, are walking by. I think Addison uh, Estrango was in one shot, and you're like, I'm analyzing this game and talking about the game these guys just played, and they're within earshot, and so you're trying to be not trying to be too demonstrative or like overly superfluous with your wording, you know, you're trying to keep it level-headed because, again, don't want to dump on these guys after they just poured their hearts and souls into a game and you're trying to say what happened without, yeah, trying to be standoffish about whatever. So, And our intention was to be on the field after the broadcast, they wouldn't but let us they would the not let us go out there even after they were off the air. So, Those are big kudos to those are how the sausage is made problems. Those are, those are uh, again, our, we're complaining about the uh, logistical <laughs> yeah. problems of, of covering a, a major sporting event on a national stage. They gave us pizza, though, so I guess we're, we're good. <laughs> they gave us pizza, that's for sure. Um, there were offensive struggles, though, of course, and, uh, boy, that's not a new storyline by any stretch of the imagination. You know, missed opportunities there on the side, drop passes, three turnovers. You're going up against a great defense, but certainly we've seen that from any stretch of defense with so many injuries on the offensive side, so much inexperience, Kirk, uh, talked again about just the offensive struggles there on a big stage and, and what could have been there in the Big Ten title game. Uh, I, I still think we probably would have been a little bit better off this year if we had the quarterback we thought was going to be our starter playing. He's played in this game before as a winning quarterback. Uh, our two tight ends are our best offensive players. I think Jay would co-sign that. Uh, so, you know, that's a start right there. And, you know, we've been dealing with the reality of our situation. Couldn't be proud of our guys. They've improved, they've scrapped, they've fought. We found a way to win these last four games. I don't think many people saw that coming. So, yeah, I look at it from the other lens. I just look at this team, what they've gone through and what they've done, how they persevered when most, most teams would have buckled, quite frankly. You know, a lot of talk about Deacon Hill uh, during the bye week of what his numbers were, what the expectations were. He, he put together a nice November, all things considered. But, yeah, uh, talking about opportunities to buckle and openings to buckle and just finding ways. I mean, the the memes that came out of that, sorry, Cade got injured against, it was Michigan State, right? Yep. The memes that came out after that, basically of Iowa fans just saying, season's over, season's toast, forget it, Cade's out, our season's done. I mean, you could point back to a lot of old takes exposed moments a for the Hawkeye, Hawkeye fan base. And Deacon, I mean, I asked him one that same question yesterday, just like, man, I mean, just look at these last two months that you've put together. And, you know, not a lot of people gave you personally or this team a chance at getting to the Big Ten Championship game when you came in here against Michigan State and then started against Purdue. And here you guys are. I mean, you know, it's a still a shutout loss and it's a bummer. But, boy, this is a heck of a spot to get to with 10 regular season wins after what you guys went through early in the season. Yeah, it's an interesting conversation, too, because I think any fan would say that given everything that's transpired, I agree with Kirk, like this has been a successful season. And, um, I mean, just getting 10 wins, no matter what the schedule is, it's tough. You look at, like, the MAC teams, I was surprised yesterday that the two MAC teams playing, they usually have more losses uh, in the MAC title game. They were combined 21 and yeah. 3 or something like that, yeah. Winning games in football is tough, and I I'm just going to toss this Logan Lee side because yeah. someone asked him and granted it was right after the game. So I bet his emotions were, were answering it, but this is just kind of the mindset of the team, which I think is, is, is pretty, pretty interesting. In you guys win the West. You get here. Uh, it doesn't go as well, obviously, as you had hoped with final score. You still consider this a success though, big picture wise? Absolutely not. Um, 
Yeah, it's uh, it's an accomplishment to win ten games in a season. Um, uh, no, that's this is not a success. Well, we just lost by twenty six points, and uh, that hurts a lot. Um, no, it is not a success. So that's the first time I've heard that. By I get the feeling he was at answering that as like this game. Like, this game was absolutely not a success. I think that's what he was getting more to. I think that's why he almost, like... That's why I left the question kinda, there, because he was... scoffed at it. He yeah. was asking about the season overall, and I, I, I'm sure Logan would have different... Um, Logan did input. say 10 wins, so he... he yeah, you know, he mentioned that, but I think... I just like he, it because the mentality of a football player, sure. like, they want to win every game, you want to play for a championship, and they did, and it's like, I'm going to say it's a successful season, but I just love the the mentality of like, no, we wanted to win this, you know? Yeah. Um, I think he was speaking, speaking, the, the phrasing was kind of tonight doesn't go the way you were expecting. Is it still a success? And so I think he's queuing on that. Like, no, we just lost by 26. Like this wasn't a successful night. I think if you ask him after the bowl game, win or lose, whatever that is, or whether they're 11 and three or 10 and four, and you ask like, Hey, like it's a 10 win season, back to back losses, but you know, you guys accomplished a lot. You know, what do you think about that? I think you might get a different answer. But yeah, in, in the moment where it's phrased like that, and you're like, no, it's not a success. Like, you just see what happened out there? I, mm-hmm. I think it's more... It's also the mentality, though, yeah. like if of the athletes, like they always think about the ones that they, they miss instead of sure. the, all the ones that they lost. The losses always sting yeah. harder than... you could. Uh, Georgia ripped off 29 wins in a row. You know what they're thinking about right now? Yeah. <laughs> Last 60 12 and one, two, yeah. Family, yeah. <laughs> um, it's And that's such a philosophical discussion like we were, we were talking about when we had that soundbite. Getting ready for the for the podcast of Giannis Antetokounmpo was asked uh, after his loss in the in the playoffs. You know, hey, you didn't win, so is this season a failure? He's like, no, like you you can't. And, and the measure of like Jordan's the greatest player of all time because he has six rings. Well, Bill Russell has eleven rings. You know, it just and how do you measure success? And it's a lot more nuanced. Someone measured like as like one or not. I think yeah. undefeated I, season, and some would say twelve and one is better. You know, yeah. just depends on. <laughs> I think he pointed Mike. out. I think he pointed out that too. He's like, so does only one NBA team have a successful season each year? There's only yeah. one successful season in the league. Yeah. It, right after that came out, I had a really inter- interesting conversation with Ryan Jacobs, the head softball coach at UNI, because they had an incredible season last spring where Pick they up really the name you just dropped. <laughs> Xavier Gret. Yeah, Regis LaSalle, <laughs> Athletics Hall of Fame. Uh, so he uh, he played a little bit of uh, street ball with not only Kurt Warner, but uh, Zach Johnson. Um, anyway, he's he's got friends in high places. Uh, I was chatting with Ryan Jacobs, and I was like, because it was right after the Giannis sock came out, and this was going before the conference tournament, and I was like, hey, you know, like, whatever happens at conference, like, say you guys, like, don't win the conference tournament, like, do you agree with Giannis? Like, that the season's still a success, or or are you guys kind of win the conference or bust, or what's your mentality? And he was like, oh, my gosh, no way. Like, we had just had a season where we rewrote the record books, like, had home run records, run scored records, like, you know, uh, got all these wins at home. He was like, this season has been a success, like, no matter what happens going forward. Like, yeah, it'll be a bummer if we lose in the conference tournament, which they did, bummer. Um, but he was like, no, even if that happens, this season is still one that is like an incredible season for the for the program and for the UNI softball team. Yeah, I think it's just all about your mentality, and there's no, that's the beauty of it. There's no right mentality. You know, Kobe was the guy who would sit up at the at the podium, and I can't remember what finals it was, but they took like a 2 nothing lead, and then they're like, why aren't you smiling? You guys are up 2 nothing." He's like, job's not finished. 
Matt was that, I mean, that was that black mama mentality, right? Did you hear, hear Matt Vandenberg drop that same quote in our last eye on the Hawks last week? That I, it feels like something he would do. It did make though, cut yeah. for the show because it was a little awkward and clunky when he brought it up. But he said the same thing about, like, job's not finished. Yeah, I, and uh, it's in the moment. I'm, and I'm sure that was, Logan was still in that mentality of, like, finish the fight's one of the big rally cries for, for Hawkeye football. And he was fresh out of that fight. And they probably feel like they didn't finish it. So that's why he was like, absolutely, this is not a success. Like, what are you talking about? Um, totally understand it. I, I know that defense has been all world. And again, uh, that's, pro- that's probably the, the bitter pill to swallow is, again, you could argue that's the best defensive performance we've seen from this team all year, even giving up 26 points. But that offense and what it can do and what it's done to other teams, just what it did to Ohio State last week, that's they looked great. Just the ball bounces a couple different ways on offense and on special teams and makes things look a little more ugly than, than maybe it was. But, yeah, I mean, it's coulda, woulda, shoulda and missed opportunities and miscues and a lot of what, what ifs. I think the, uh, the cover of the Gazette Sports section today was ifs and buts and a lot of sayings about what if those were actual things, but they weren't. You just got to flush and move on. Unless, I think they, they talked about letting this one sting a little while longer. 24-hour rule, maybe not. Yeah, I not saw that quote floating around from Logan, letting this one sting. Yeah, which was exactly what they said after the Minnesota game, too. I mean, they had the bye week afterwards, so um, they had to let – or no, sorry, they had the bye week after – was it after the Minnesota game? Yeah. Okay, making sure. I was like, well, Penn State. Anyway, so they had to let that one sting a little bit longer, and I think they allowed themselves to let that one sting a little bit longer. And so they've, same yeah. deal with this one. Four weeks now between games, between uh, – Losing this one and going to the, the Citrus Bowl against Tennessee, we'll talk about that a little bit afterwards, or after this break, we'll also talk about just Iowa when the bright lights are on and, and what Kirk Ferentz says about maybe the narrative that's out there about that. That's after this. So let's look at this like this. I believe the last four or five games that Iowa's played against high-level competition on bigger stages, we're going 2021 championship game against Michigan, 2022 in Columbus, 2023 at Penn State, 2023 in December yesterday against Michigan. 2022 at home against Michigan, too. As well as that. Um, but the, the four I mentioned, too, uh, the big ones. Sure. Where Iowa, the scores are very lopsided. Very, very lopsided. We're talking 42-3, 56-10, 54-10, something like that. 50-something to 10. And, and that ten, that seven points was a defensive touchdown against defensive Atlanta touchdown. State. Joe Evans, thirty-one uh, nothing in Happy Valley, and, and twenty-six nothing last night. There's a the perception that Iowa, when the bright lights come on and you're up against really elite level talent, that maybe the Hawks just can't hang. I believe that's what Kirk was asking or uh, answering um, in this soundbite here. I didn't hear the question, but what exactly was it? Yeah, it was along those lines about when he's playing for, I believe they, they, they mentioned this in the title game, mm. um, how the scores were super lopsided. And I thought he gave an interesting answer on the landscape of college football, so that's why I included it. Here it is. Sick listen. You know, uh, on paper, we've been close twice. I, th- I think I'm correct in saying that. Um, in 02, there was no playoff, at least, you know, Ohio State went, we didn't. Uh, so I guess it was two teams back then. Um, but I think we would have competed well with them on the field. 15, if we had won that game, which we didn't, uh, then we would have been there. Michigan State wouldn't have been. So, you know, it's, uh, I don't think people realize how tough it is to be one of those four teams. TCU was there last year. Didn't go so well this year. So to get there, sustain it, 
Uh, I mean, the facts are there's, there's probably six, eight schools that are in that discussion on a routine basis. Um, you know, so that's kind of the nature of college football. Thoughts on Iowa on the big stages? Uh, those numbers speak for themselves pretty well. I mean, maybe not necessarily. I don't think it has anything to do with, you know, playing under the big lights, anything like that. It's just that they can't keep up with these other teams in the Big Ten that have been national powerhouses with Michigan, Penn State, and Ohio State. And, and as I've said a number of times this season, that's what I worry about with the expansion of the Big Ten with these new schedules with teams like Oregon and USC and Washington coming into the conference. Are these the same numbers that we're going to see reflected every time that they go up against those guys too? Are those going to be uh, 42 to 3 games, 38 to 10 games? I mean, are, is that going to be the same result that we see once these newcomers come to the Big Ten? Yeah, the reality is, uh, you know, Iowa has a great defense, one of the best in the nation. I don't think anyone, if, if you actually watch the games, would disagree with that. The thing about Michigan and Ohio State and those teams is they also have top 10 defenses, but they, they have an offense that can match. And it's not always top 10. Maybe the offense is better than the defense and, you know, they're both not top 10, but they both can produce. And that's just been the last three years. Iowa hasn't been able to do it. So if it's a philosophy change, if it's players, what do those two teams have in common? CJ and Brad could run the ball at QB when they needed to. They had a lot more weapons than this team does now. Um, and better offensive line play. Yeah. I mean, so I don't know what the solution is other than get, you know, more talent to move the ball. Um, but yeah, that, that's the difference between those top tier teams can do it. They're not one dimensional, like only an offense or only a defense. That's what, you know, USC struggled with just an offense. They didn't have a defense. You need to be sound on both sides of the ball to compete on that high level. Yeah. I mean, you look at, Ohio State and Michigan. Ohio State had the Big Ten receiver of the year and Big Ten tight end of the year. Michigan's got the Big Ten quarterback and running back of the year. Yep. Jimmy's and Joe's make a heck of a lot of difference. Yeah, again, the, the X and, X's and O's and philosophy at Iowa been the same for a quarter century, but when you got those upper echelon guys or guys that just fit the scheme perfectly and match up with the play caller well, again, C.J. Beathard's numbers weren't anything. They were fairly comparable to what Cade did in 21 in Michigan, but like you're making the right plays at the right time, things are breaking a certain way, and you're converting, getting catches, things like that. It makes all the difference in the world. You don't have to put up crazy numbers. You just got to make the plays when they count and, and make the plays when they're available. And that can be the difference between 10 and 2 and feeling like there's meat on the bone and, and 12 and 0 and right there on the doorstep. And Iowa's strengths, historically, have been the offensive line and the tight ends. And if Luke plays, maybe he's the Big Ten tight the whole season. Sure. Maybe he does, because he, I mean, he, he was getting Eric like... Eric healthy all the, all the yeah, way. He might be the one that those, takes the reins. Those two players were getting like 50 to 60% of the target share. Like, they would have had some crazy numbers, um, regardless of how well this offense moved. I mean, they were solely, like, moving through them. So maybe that changes, and, and the offense plays a little better. Um, the offensive line, though, I mean, it, it gets gotten better than last this year compared to the last few years. But still not to that elite level where they're sending first rounders every other year. So um, if you're deficient in one of those strengths, then the Iowa offense just isn't going to tick like it used to in those glory years, quote unquote. Here's the <laughs> big takeaways, though, that if you're an Iowa fan that you can look forward to at least next year. I mean, you know, scheduling wise and stuff down the road, it's hard to look past just one year from now. But in terms of next year, the big things are really playing in your favor. Number one. 
The schedule is still not too bad for Iowa next season. They still have a chance to win a lot of games in the Big Ten next year based on how things play out. If they go into Columbus, do some things right, I mean, you're really looking at possibly a really good season again if everybody stays healthy. You have the second thing that comes to mind is the offensive line. Um, They really showed a lot of improvement this year. They were not perfect for a lot of the season, but they did show an improvement. And Rusty Feth is the only member of the offensive line that is definitely going to be gone after this year. Everybody else... Who knows who will come back? Even, you know, when I was talking to Brian White, his former coach at Kennedy yesterday, he was saying that he, after this year, might even have some NFL opportunities. So you never know who's going to come back to the O-line. But if everybody decides to come back, that really is going to be an outstanding offensive line that Iowa has next year. And it's going to give a lot of protection to whoever is in the backfield. Assuming it's Cade McNamara back there, he's going to have a lot more protection. You've got Caleb Brown back on that offense. Caleb Boy, I mean, went from a guy who like was getting zero targets to a guy who was really showing some spark for an incredible offensive playmaker. And we're maybe getting some glimpses ahead at if you've got a healthy K. McNamara, healthy O-line, a healthy Caleb Brown, those guys can make some big plays next season. Next thing, you know, just the portal. I mean, you can go out there and you can get some guys that, um, you know, maybe some weapons to complement Caleb. You've got some running backs coming back, you know, assuming LeSean and Caleb and maybe even Jazz come back next year. Those are some guys that are going to be even more dangerous in the Iowa backfield. So as much as the last few years, those performances against the big dogs in the Big Ten have really gone very poorly for Iowa, it's hard to imagine that the performances get worse. You have to think that those performances are only going to get better from here based on the guys who are coming back and based on hopefully getting this offense to a point where they're you know maybe even just top 75 in the country. You have the opportunity, too, to improve in the coaching staff Mm -hmm. um, and the philosophy. I mean, I'm going to believe a change in philosophy when I see it from this staff and, or from Kirk, you know, I don't think that changes. uh, (laughs) Can it change enough though? Like if you bring in the Chris shift a little bit down, yeah. yeah. Is it not like a hundred percent predictable for other teams to know what you're doing? Um, Is it, you know, 60% you can catch. There's ways, ways to stretch within the philosophy of like, okay, we're going to play, conservative in the sense of like we're gonna we're not gonna take massive risks and huge swings but there's what i mean you've talked so much about just like screen games short quick passes things like that that can that move the ball well that are high percentage throws that don't put the ball in harm's way and and can still keep you keep defenses on their toes and move the ball at a at a decent clip yeah there's plenty on the table you mentioned the transfer portal and what that's going to do we do have at least one Iowa guy who's already announced just in the last couple of hours that he's uh, he's going to be going other places. Yeah, I just saw that Brandon Diaz-Fernandez is going to be going to look for his opportunities elsewhere. We, we always kind of give the clarif- uh, clarification with the transfer portal that they enter the transfer portal. That does not necessarily sure. mean they're going to be gone from the Iowa Hawkeyes, but based on what Diaz-Fernandez has has seen on the field over the last couple of years, I mean, God bless the kid. Uh, he's played in a, in a secondary at Iowa who has some studs. I mean, just incredible playmakers there in the backfield, but he's this is his fourth year with the program and he just has not gotten the playing time that I'm sure he would have expected or what he would have hoped for. So I'm sure all Hawkeye fans are going to hope for that, for the best for that kid as he goes and seeks an opportunity yeah, elsewhere. Missed a lot of last year for injury. Uh, it was a staple on special teams this year. And yeah, um, Belleville kid, I believe, right? Yep, Belleville, Michigan. Belleville, uh, Deshaun Lee, um, Kayvon Merriweather. So the heck of a, boy, you want to talk about a high level high school <laughs> football program right now. Belleville, Michigan. Um, I believe they have the number one recruit in the class of 25 and Bryce Underwood, a great quarterback who I believe Iowa has offered. Um, so yeah, put, put some uh, rocks in that wishing well and see what happens there. But uh, yeah, that, that's a great program and yeah, all the best to Brendan. He's a, uh, yeah, 
DBU, that's yep. <laughs> that's the prophet coming to Iowa and trying to break the two deep. So there's just a, a lot of talent there. But that, that's a kid who's going to go find success somewhere. Yeah, and this is, uh, I think, today is the official start of the transporter, I believe. Today's the day that it opens. Um, so there will be... You know, we've we've had a lot of speculation in the newsroom and in the car rides over the last couple of weeks about who might enter the portal. Hard to say. Uh, it seems like we don't think it's going to be a huge number for the Hawkeyes. I think that they'll lose maybe a small handful of players. I'd say fewer than seven or eight guys. I mean, I think we'll enter the portal, but you know, and then by this time next week, I'm sure we'll know a little bit more about what this roster is going to look like for the bowl game and for next season. One thing I like to stress too about these kids entering the portal, they're still like eight. They're still college kids, and I'm not going to feel. I'm not going to hold a grudge against anyone who who says, you know, this isn't the right fit for me. Yeah. You don't know what goes into practice. You don't know how the situation goes. Not saying that anyone is more likely or less likely to have a bad situation here, but if it's not a right fit, if I was in college, I could transfer because I wasn't an athlete. Like they get one free transfer now, mm-hmm. let them take it. You know, like it stinks sometimes when you see like a future for them, but that's not the future they want. So, mm-hmm. you know, let them go live their life. Exactly. Like I, I, I cannot, tell you how much it bothers me when fans in Twitter mentions like talk about kids all right they're, they're adults talk about college kids transferring like they made the worst decision maybe they did make a bad decision but it's their decision to make so yeah. worry about your kids not ones exactly. on the, that wear the jerseys of the colors you like there's one way to go um speaking of who could be on the bowl roster and not um do we have that sub Castro bite or if we don't no, that's I can paraphrase we didn't uh, have it Seb was basically asked about Bowl situations, things like that. He makes it, from his perspective, he doesn't think people are going to opt out of this game. They want to play one more time together. Uh, again, they're going to be going for a, an 11th win in, in the 2023 season. You got 2002, 2009, 2015, the only years in the history of Iowa football, not just Barron's, entire history of Iowa football, that they've won 11 games. So something definitely big to play for against Tennessee. I would say, I mean, all the high Draft picks are already hurt and they're already out. It's Luke and, and Cooper. The next one, in my mind, without looking, and again, I don't, I say this almost every week because I don't like looking at NFL mock drafts. The next one is Seb, and he said it himself. I think he's a second rounder, but I don't know if that's an actual grade on him. He He's an NFL player. That's the Mike Howell grade. Yeah. <laughs> he is one, uh, in the championship games, P Pro Football Focus, which I don't have an association to, I should probably invest. <laughs> he was like the fourth or fifth rate, highest rated player that played on Saturday. He is legit, and if he's not on a mock draft, he probably should be. Um, But if he's saying it, then that's, I don't know who else would probably opt out for being drafted in the top three rounds. I don't know if there is another one on the roster that's not hurt. You maybe talk about like, did you mention Eric All? No, but uh, he's hurt as well too. Oh, sorry, you said guys are hurt, yeah. Yeah, in terms of opt-outs, I don't know if it'd be like, the guys that you'd maybe be talking about in Seb's in that conversation too of guys who could come back for another year. So like Logan, I don't think there's any way Logan would skip out on another game. I mean, that kid sounds like he wants to play again. Um, maybe in the linebacking core, like Nick or Jay. Jay, Jay passes Pat Anger. He's now fourth all time in tackles and opting out. No and, and he's got an opportunity to go past one of his, <laughs> one of the position coaches and, and Chad Green. It's still 2005. You have two guys who have, that many tackles together. Chad Greenway and Abdul Hodge mm-hmm. in one season. Yeah. Uh, he's got a chance to keep climbing up the history books. He won't be looking at that list, even though Roy sends it to everybody <laughs> he possibly can. Yeah. Uh, we'll recap picks going into the championship week here, and then maybe after that we'll do a little uh, analysis of, boy, Mike, for those that aren't watching, um, 
on YouTube, on the Iowa's News Now YouTube channel. You can go back and watch this if you're only listening to audio. Mike goes 4-1 in championship week. His only miss was Louisville, thought, thought they would cover. Mike on the season is 43-35-2 against the spread. We're taking you... You're, Iowa should have gone I to the Vegas bet on Bowl. the ones yeah. that I pick because I don't do that, and I I lose more than I win <laughs> on the app. Mike, these Mike also took Michigan to cover the points, which they did. Uh, that was right. a that was a jinx bet. I, I pick against Iowa a lot because I want the, the fan tax. Yeah, is that what you call it? I call yeah, it the fan, the fan tax. tax. I'm either happy or I win a, a bet. I took Georgia to cover against Bama. Shame on me. Um, Owen and I also both had Iowa covering the 22. Um, Owen also um, had Louisville covering against FSU. Some I. If you would have asked, I pick these in the moment and then totally forget what I picked, even though like I, I try to do a little research. 100%. I absolutely would have thought I picked Louisville to maybe win outright. But there we go. So Owen and I go three and two. We are tied um, for second or tied for last, depending on how glass half full or empty you want to go. First, you're last. At 35, 43, and two, the opposite uh, win-loss of what... Hmm. Mike, the money man Howell has picked. That's what they call me. And that's what we're going to, I'm absolutely going to start calling you money. People watching, listening, we're going to do a eye on the Hawks bull pick them kind of yeah, thing from like yeah. CBS sports. I'll send out a link on our account yeah. so we can all for, compete against each other. For the tiebreaker between me, me and Mitch, I assume on this show, we'll do a, uh, just pick, pick of all the big 10, big 10 bowl games. <laughs> uh, fist fight. No, we know. It'll take forever. Actually. <laughs> I would get long. destroyed. In a fist fight. Yeah. Um, let's look ahead real quick to, uh, the cheese it, Citrus Bowl, not the Cheez-It Bowl, not the Pop-Tarts Bowl, the Cheez-It Citrus Bowl. Wow. Thank you for Cheez-Its for bringing the Citrus Bowl to us. Tennessee is 8-4, and 4-4 four, four and four in the SEC, according to their release um, on the game. This is their sixth Citrus Bowl appearance. They have, uh, they finished in the top 25 nationally in eight different team categories. They are the 18th total offense team in the country, 453 yards a game. 12th best rushing offense, just over 200 yards a game. Great rushing defense as well. Net punting, we got another great punting school, folks. Punt return average, punt return defense. Total sacks, total tackles for loss. Three of Tennessee's four losses came against teams who finished in the top 11 and either went to the college football playoff or New Year's Six. They are led by Josh Heupel, who, of course, led Oklahoma to a national title uh, under Bobby Stoops back in the day. Former Michigan quarterback, too, I think. I believe Joe Milton, the third. Joe Milton is the starting quarterback. Is the starting quarterback. He, so the one thing I do know about Tennessee, they lost to all the big players in the SEC, Oga, lost to Alabama, Zoo. Missouri. And from what I listened to early on in the season from national podcasts is they tried to run the same offense they had Hendon Hooker in last year and just didn't really fit. Yeah. So, but still talented quarterback, still a lot of talent on Tennessee. Um you can it's, see they beat Kentucky. I would say a similar team, at least philosophy-wise. It's a fun matchup. Yeah. And a fun one that Phil and the defense get a, a month, basically, to scheme for an offense that's as dynamic as they are. You know, it reminds me of Norm Parker scheming for Georgia Tech's triple option. I think we've talked about on the pod before of him moving cups around at media day to show <laughs> show the media how you would scheme against the triple option. And boy, uh, Norm, rest his soul, uh, Absolutely knew what he was doing against the uh, rambling wreck of Georgia Tech there back in uh, January of 2010. I don't know if this is just an assumption um, when we see a good punting matchup that the Hawkeyes have with another team, but uh, Tennessee's punter Jackson Ross, he is a native of Melbourne, Australia, of course, um, as most good punters are. Um, so what is it? Let's see. It says that he was a 2023 Ray Guy Award final candidate list. 
So he is a finalist. Finalist, yeah. He's a finalist. That's wow. just way too wordy. We, <laughs> so we've got two of the three Ray Guy Award finals playing in this game, and we're going to find out the winner of the Ray Guy Award, I guess, tomorrow night. Someone's going to be looking for redemption. Yeah. It might be the Tennessee <laughs> kid. Uh, final thoughts before we uh, wrap for this. Again, uh, Kirk's got a, a Zoom interview presser starting probably like 10 minutes or so. Yeah. Final thoughts on everything? <laughs> Michael? Uh, yeah, final thoughts. I mean, I don't, I can't, the game, obviously, I think it went a lot the way a lot of people thought. The defense played a lot better than I thought, you know, well, just because Michigan's so elite on both sides of the ball. But um, you got to give your hats off to those guys that played in the trenches and, and limited Michigan to the, what, like 60 rushing yards, which is probably one of their lowest. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, only thing is that, I mean, it's still, you know, Heck of a season. I mean, gosh, I, I don't want to just like throw in the towel with this Citrus Bowl game uh, sponsored by Cheez-It. Um, Who? But, <laughs> but, yeah, just like this 10-win season has to be one that Iowa fans are going to remember for a long time. Um, the, the Big Ten Championship game is a game to forget for a long time. Um, but regardless of what the outcome was last night and what the outcome will be on January 1st, um, hats off to a team that has battled through an incredible amount of adversity this year. Yeah, and cheers to everybody who made the trip to Indy. There was a ton of Hawkeye fans. We were at Ten Roof for a little bit on, on Saturday before the game, and tons of Hawkeye fans in there. They were all over, and I think, you know, these are the, the moments that Iowa fans really enjoy, getting to travel and support their team. You, you always want to come out on top, but it seemed like everybody had a great time. Tons of Iowa cars driving back west today as we made the the route back as well so hope everybody traveled safe hope everybody enjoyed themselves and now they're probably getting ready to book their tickets to orlando that'll be a fun one uh i'm not sure when our next show is going to be our next eye on the hawks we should probably talk about the uh the future of eye on the hawks here figuring it out yeah we're gonna do a once a week basketball show um once the football season wraps um we might do one this week for the cyhawk series um, but football-wise, I think it's going to be a few weeks before we take off, unless there's significant football news. We might have to break out the old podcast cart. But um, yeah, we'll, for those that can't see, Mike is sitting at a cart <laughs> with all the the computers and and programming and production stuff. So look for one this week. I don't think we decided on a, a day that we'll do the um, Cyhawk series one. I think it was on Friday at post. The women play on Wednesday. The men play on Thursday, and we'll do a post on Friday. And we'll get some sort of player bowl availability probably before they, they head. I'm guessing that'll be sometime mid-December before yeah. they head down. I'm sure we'll, yeah. we'll hear from them and we'll get some sort of bowl preview together. That'll definitely, definitely, yep. I, w- I want to say thank you, and I'm glad um, Mike got this opportunity in Indy. You had a few of our peers and colleagues in the, in the media business come up, and um, they got a chance to tell you a lot of really nice things about what you've done. And I, I've said this a couple of times, too, and I think – I speak for Owen on this. Of like, this was your idea, and you you put a lot of design stuff together, and you you put a lot of work into this stuff, man. Thank you for doing that and stepping up and chasing out a passion project. That's not easy. He's for those that don't know, Mike is the assistant news director, so he's one of the the big wigs in the newsroom, and, and he's got a lot on his plate doing <laughs> that. But he has wanted to do something like this for a while, and finally started putting the pieces together for it, and it's been a a ton of fun. Had, yeah, you had a few yeah. people come up and say some really nice things, well-deserved things. Um, yeah. You know, this this was your baby from the beginning, and you're... you're yeah, I don't take compliments well, but yeah, no, <laughs> you two too as well. I mean, you guys are putting in some real hours on, especially on Thursday, or Tuesday and Wednesdays, covering the team. But yeah, Jack Leto and uh, David Eichel gave me a shout-out, 
said they're they loved what I was doing and those are awesome guys in the, in the market too. So yeah. and really appreciate it. Even at the Hawkeye Huddle, heard a lot of compliments. I don't know if even some of our friends from the Hawkeye Huddle are watching this show on YouTube as we speak. There were a couple they, guys from uh, Tipton Cedar Rapids that came in and I think uh, said something to you right away. Like, oh yeah, we watch you every time. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, they, people were calling out Eye on the Hawks even Super on the inside cool. once the once the thing was going on and we were walking around a little bit. We were, hey, Eye on the Hawks, love it. That's so awesome. people are watching and people are enjoying it. And that was tooting our own horn. <laughs> yeah, it's a new no, segment that we've just added. Yeah. No, it's uh, it's been fun. As um, told a few people this weekend too, like this is this is fun stuff. You win or lose, you're getting to cover college football. What a fun thing that is! So much pageantry and uh, tradition with it, and get to get to know the people behind the the face mask and uh, the families behind the players. It's such a cool opportunity, and you know, especially coming from the news side, there's you know. So yeah. much ups and downs with that, you know, and there's wins and losses, certainly uh, more literally on, on this side, too, uh, when it comes to games. But one of the a lot of fun. One of the cool things that I've learned just this one season going to games and stuff is the camaraderie of the local media, which I, viewers will never see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But like it's almost like a mini family. And you think you watch Anchorman and you think everyone hates <laughs> each other. But literally like all of our competitors you were we're friends you with. Think, yeah. Yeah, I, I had a guy. from Man on Fire. This, this, I go to a lot of local trivia nights, um, and this, this guy that hosts a lot of them asked me one time. He had, he's a big Colonels fan, and so he saw me at the Colonels championship game, and so we were recapping afterwards. I was like, oh, yeah, me and uh, Chelsea from KCRG were up there shooting most of that game over together from, from right field. And he was like, oh, you know, you guys get pretty ter- territorial with each other. And I was like, no, like, I love Chelsea. Like, she's yeah. one of my favorite people to see around. And it's like just every every game day, every state tournament, like, yeah, I just love everybody. They get a chance to see. Those are those are really fun opportunities. And we hang out together even after the, uh, you know, especially during these event weeks. I mean, last year after the game on New Year's Eve, we were all out together hanging out on uh, on Broadway Street in, uh, in Nashville. And we were hanging out uh, on Friday night leading up to the game this weekend. And, yeah, it's a, it's a fun crew, and we all, we all really enjoy each other. Not fun. Uh, Camille Gear though, uh, is a Tennessee grad, so this is, this is for all the Camilles, apparently, this, uh, this bowl game between the Vols and Hawks. Plenty more to talk about that, though, in the weeks to come, the days to come. If I were at their station, wheels on Camilles is how I would market their, uh, or Camilles on wheels is what I'm saying. Camilles on wheels to all the way to the bowl game. How do you feel about that? Marketing campaign for WKAD that I'm just pulling up right now. Now, now they have to drive to the bowl game. Brainstorming. That, uh, yeah. <laughs> we'll let you know how that develops uh, outside of <laughs> Broadcast Park. But uh, yeah, keep tuning in to Eye on the Hawk. Subscribe, keep liking, keep following, keep supporting. It means the world to us. We'll see you sometime later here in December here on Eye on the Hawks.